Hello, and welcome back to Demigod Disasters, a Percy Jackson podcast where I, your host Andy, am both a demigod and a disaster. This week, we are going to be talking about the third episode in the Percy Jackson TV show. Heads up, big disclaimer, uh, warning, we will be talking about mature themes uh, relating to sexual violence as we discuss some of these myths. So just be wary of that. If this isn't something that's safe for you to do, then that that's okay. All right. Well, with that discussed, let's jump right in. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this episode because so much happened in it. And I have so many feelings about all of the things that happened. And I can't wait to just give you all of those feelings. So <laughs> just as a little recap, as we go into it, we had left off the last episode with Percy being claimed, him being given the quest. And in the final line of the episode, before all of the little uh, teasers for the next one, for this one, is when do we leave from Percy? Because now we know that we're going to go save his mom. Isn't that exciting? I'm hyped. I'm so hyped. So this episode is titled, We Visit the Garden Gnome Emporium. And I am. <laughs> we, we are going, you know, chapter title from a book. Chef's Kiss. Wonderful. Where we ended off, we still hadn't gotten the prophecy. And that's where we start this episode. It was kind of fascinating that we just kind of jumped straight into this with no like voiceover from say Chiron or Mr. D or Grover even being like, this is what you have to do before this quest becomes an actual quest. You need to get a prophecy from the Oracle. Very interesting that we go straight in with Percy. Again, though, it's like solidifying this idea that like when we are with Percy, we are most of the time like we spend so much time in his perspective. This is a whole thing that is in his perspective. He's going into this completely new situation. He's like, I guess I can't do anything until this person, who may not even be a person, like, gives me, like, approval that, like, this quest is a thing. Like, Percy doesn't really know what it is that he's seeking out, but he, he's going in. And we see the oracle. The whole big house is truly, like, so much of what I imagined it was in my head. It is so cool. <laughs> It it is it is dingy and it looks almost like it's been abandoned, but it has so many different relics from so many different situations. We see that the Minotaur horn has made it in there as well. It's just so fascinating. I love the way that we have created the attic <laughs> where the Oracle lives. So so cool. And we start with Percy walking in, you know, to see the Oracle, and the first line that he has, he squeaks. <laughs> he's like nervous <laughs> so so funny i like i was cackling i was giggling up a storm i do like that it's percy giving the lore again we're like in his perspective as we're going through this and also just massive massive shout out to the team working on the oracle so much of of the oracle is practical effects like actual special effects being put on them physically uh i think it's almost all of it and it just it looks so good they did such a good job the way that like it adds so much to the actor's performance too oh, oh it's so good 
I want to know everything about it. I want them to give me the full details of how this went down because I need it. <laughs> uh, we get the green smoke billowing out, you know, very reminiscent of the books in this moment. Super cool. And like, just like the right shade of green. I don't know if you guys think about shades of green very often, but I've been thinking a lot about shades of green and like this shade of green is just so correct. It's like almost like toxic looking in how vibrant it's a, like, it's almost getting too vibrant, but it's also like green enough that you can tell it's like uh, magical almost from the earth, but just a little bit weird that it's not directly coming from the earth, that something else is at play beautiful green <laughs> just a beautiful beautiful shade of green <laughs> uh and we get gabe giving us the actual prophecy which i love it it was true to the books i mean in the books it's it's gabe and his poker friends but he does online poker so it's just gabe it's it's so fascinating um i had always pictured it as uh the oracle speaking through gabe but i think it's really funny that it's just gabe's voice <laughs> And it's just Gabe. I think that's very, very funny. Um, I I do still wonder why it was Gabe. I I don't I don't recall like any kind of real reasoning. <sighs> yeah, it's it's so so funny that Gabe is the one giving the prophecy. I love that it sticks to the book. Incredible. We also though, we only get two lines. At the very beginning of the episode, he goes, you shall go west and face the god who has turned, and you shall find what was stolen and see it safely returned. We remember this. We remember this straight from the book. I could pull it up. I could find the prophecy right here. It is page 141. Did you know that? I just told you. And <laughs> now you know that for sure. And it was interesting because when I was watching it, I mean, if you follow me on on Twitter, you you would have known <laughs> as I was watching it because I, I was like live tweeting my my reaction. The first thing I tweeted was, "Where's the rest of the prophecy?" <laughs> like, "Where's the rest of it? We only got two lines." <laughs> because it seemed like we were switching to something else. So we go now. We're in the setting where it's Chiron and he's presenting both the quest and Percy to this group of demigods, right? And also presenting the demigods to Percy, being like. These are who you can pick to accompany you on this journey, which is so fascinating. This is completely new. And I, I kind of love it. <laughs> I think it's just like such a, a tangible way for demigods to find if they've achieved glory at camp is if they get nominated to be in one of those spots, you know? And like, I'm sure that that's something that like is very coveted just to just to be in that like I would say in the room, but it's 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 a pavilion, you know. So like, <laughs> so like not the room, but like you know, uh, Aaron Burr, Hamilton, to be in the room where it happens, right? Just to be invited, must be just such an honor and something that all of their like, glory that they're working for gives them as a reward, right? So this is very fascinating. I also wonder if the more experience you get with quests, the less you need to do this like choosing circle what does Grover call it again he calls it the selection ceremony so formal name for this this event um this is different from the books but I'm not I'm not mad about it I think this is really good <laughs> I really like this and you know Chiron's explaining it uh that like these are people you get to pick and like, Percy just 
interrupts and goes, Annabeth, I want Annabeth. This, this kid, he's going to kill me. <laughs> he's going to kill me. Um, <laughs> We get a line from Percy when Carmen's like, it's customary to at least hear like a couple names before picking. And Percy's like, no, no, no. I I know exactly why I'm doing this. Like, I'm picking this. I'm being very smart about this. And we get a line that really reminds me of Chalice of the Gods. I haven't talked about it on this podcast, so I'm not going to go spoilers, but I'm going to say shout out to page 128 or the start of chapter 17. Whatever way is easiest for you to see this quote, that's what I got for you. <laughs> but like, wow, like the similarities so amazing. Uh, the quote that Percy gives in the TV show is, if the mission required someone to push me down a flight of stairs for it to succeed, you'd want someone who won't hesitate when they do it. Let me tell you, Chiron was absolutely speechless. He was gagged. He was like, how am I supposed to argue with that? I guess, sure, Annabeth is the first one. <laughs> right. And then we cut to Grover kind of shoveling a lot of poop from Pegasi. Uh, we can assume that it's a punishment for Mr. D. Gets solidified later on. Uh, because Mr. D doesn't like it when, uh, Grover interrupts and informs enemy gods of things they're not supposed to know. So, that's, that's fun. <laughs> that's a fun time. Uh, Percy comes by, um, and Grover's so sweet. He's like, I'm sorry I missed your selection ceremony. And who did, like, who did you pick? And Percy is like, I chose you. Uh, we get this this sweet little moment of like Grover like not really believing it, being like, no, really, like who did you pick? Um, and Percy solidifying this, and in this, we get flashback to when Percy was hearing the prophecy, and we get the rest of the prophecy. So here we go, full circle. Because I was I was watching, and I was like, where did the rest of it go? <laughs> Why isn't anybody questioning the integrity of this rhyming scheme? Where's the rest of this? <laughs> <laughs> where's the rest of this um and <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm just thinking about that that Charles of apollo series sorry <laughs> um and and here we get the rest of the prophecy we get you shall be betrayed by one who calls you friend and fail to save what matters most in the end and so we see from percy we cut back to him and and that's why he chooses him he's like i choose you because i trust you right tensions are high in his he is handling all this in his little brain all on his own that's a lot of stuff to go on in your little brain that's that's a lot of stuff um you know but he's he's really interpreting it as like grover won't betray me uh we have our trio we have we have our trio and who wasn't chosen that might have been a surprise for um new viewers to the show luke Luke was not chosen. So where do we go next? Where do we go next? Next to confront that. Now we are confronting. Why didn't we pick Luke? <laughs> so we flash to Percy in his cabin. Luke comes in. And we get this um, beautiful overhead shot of the cabin. Um, it really makes them seem really tiny. <laughs> tiny, tiny Percy. And I just have to roast Camp Half-Blood for like a second. Because why did they only give Percy $200? I mean, like, <laughs> they really just don't give them any money. And if you remember, like, I had a whole... I, like, lost my mind over this when we were doing it in the book. Because I was like, what do you mean you guys are lending him money? What do you mean you're lending him money? 
But they only lent him, lended, sorry, they only lended him $100 in the book. So I guess they got him more money. <laughs> and in this one, and in this one, there's no loan. It's just Chiron gave it to him, you know, out of the goodness of his heart, uh, not a bank. <laughs> Man, I really had a whole, we don't have a camp store. I'm grateful and also sad. The lore questions that will never get answered. R.I.P. The camp store. <laughs> Anyways, we have $100 and we have a, ba uh, a bag of drachmas. Percy says that he thinks he's like, he's like, it's either Canadian money or something from Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so good. So good. Luke then gives Percy this gift. He's like, I have something for you. What is it? It's this box. Percy opens the box. <laughs> and do you know that, that meme of, of, it was a, it was a vine back when vine was a thing, which feels like forever ago, but like it was a vine of the little baby that opens their Christmas present, and they go, it's an avocado. Thanks. <laughs> That's literally Percy opening up this box and finding Converse in there as a Vans kid. <laughs> Percy only wears Vans, but for some reason, he's being gifted Converse, you know? He's, <laughs> he's just like, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. We learn the shoes have wings. They're a gift from Hermes. And when Luke says his special word, Maya, we get wings on the shoes. Now, I had a lot of thoughts about these wings. One, I love that this laces. I It never had crossed my mind. Designer out there, who designed this? Was it the costume designer or was it props? You know, because items like these go back and forth. <laughs> items like these sometimes end up in one place or another, depending on their functionality. And... I would, I would assume that it was a, a, a costumes uh, because it's worn and they'd have to make like a, a hero of it and mul multiple different versions of it. And so I'm assuming it's costumes. So to so the costume designing team person, most likely, um, you are so smart. Oh my God, this is so cool. How did, how did you come up with it being the laces? That is amazing. That is amazing. I love that it's laces. I will say I was very surprise because for some reason in my head in my head it had always been like two little wings on each side of the ankle but this makes so much more sense like functionally I feel like for the wings it operates more than based on like how you lean your weight which almost makes you think of like snowboarding for some reason that's the first thing that comes to my mind snowboarding or like skateboarding where like yes uh it, it, it you you're the way you move, the direction in which you turn and all of those things, how you navigate it is based off of how you shift your weight. And that is easier if one side is more leaning to one direction versus the other. You know, like, does it make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I can see practically why it would be one wing per shoe, but that never occurred to me. Oh, I am in awe. I am in awe. I want a book of just all of the costume designing process for the show. <laughs> like, please, I beg you. <laughs> I beg you. Like, just a, a book. Uh, uh, I just need all of it. I need to see it all. It's so cool. Like, that's so, so clever. I love it. I really do. Um, 
we also get this uh, costumes aside we get this really cool conversation between percy and luke where we find out you know we're confronting why didn't we pick luke and percy very much is is talking like a i mean he is a little kid but it's very much like little kid rapidly apologizing because they feel bad and they don't want to back down but they also don't want to disappoint their friend who wanted to join them on this thing but they're like they're like please like i I was really thinking this through, and I just don't think that this works, and I, I'm really sorry, but, like, that it, it was so perfect for, like, what a kid would be feeling in this moment, like, all of these different conflicting emotions. It was perfect. It was perfect. Uh, but essentially, the meat of it is that Percy thinks that Luke will always be on Annabeth's side, and so he doesn't want Luke on the quest, because if he ends up having to break away from the quest to save his mom, he wants to be able to do that, even if Annabeth doesn't want to. And just like, <laughs> wow, wow, the the thoughts that I am thinking in this moment, I'm slapping my pen against my hand, that's what this sound is, I, I'm just, I've been seeing a lot of people rereading or reading for the first time The Titan's Curse and Battle of the Labyrinth, and wow, <laughs> this, this, this moment, this scene of Percy being like, you're always on, you're always going to be on Annabeth's side to Luke is really hitting different with all of that context, you know? Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's all fine. It's all fine. <laughs> we are now packed for the quest. God, why did Luke give Percy the shoes in a box? Why? <laughs> why probably because he wanted percy to right away change into them why would percy do that he's a vans kid this is so much more logical to me <laughs> than in the book <laughs> hold on hold on in the book he doesn't wear them for a very long time right uh because they don't really fit him very well but in this one it makes so much more sense why would percy wear them he's a vans kid he's loyal to that branding you know, Converse are not going to go with his style. So obviously he's not going to wear them. Are we seeing? Are we seeing this? I see it. I see it. It's perfect. I see it. It's great. It's great. Um, we do switch to this shot of Annabeth uh, at Thalia's tree. Not Thalia's. Also, fun fact, uh, there's a, a Mexican artist is it? I think she's Mexican. <laughs> I believe so. That uh, Her name is Thalia, and she's who would be played a lot in my house growing up, especially for Christmas time. My parents love her Christmas music. <laughs> but, like, so so I always thought that it was, like, Thalia, the Ia would be the Mexican part, so in English it would be Talia. But now, now I have to re reshape all of my thinking in the world. It's Thalia. <laughs> okay. I'll do it, I guess. I'm gonna do it. Thalia. So, and Percy's, like, being kind of sassy, but it's really just because he doesn't understand the situation. And he's explaining that, like, why is she, why is she looking at this tree? Grover then tells the story again of Thalia's tree, but actually says that Thalia turns into a tree because, you know, Luke didn't say that. But Grover is excluding something from the story. It's so fascinating that the first time we hear the story... We're missing two pieces of information. We're missing Grover the Protector and Thalia turning into a tree from Luke. And now that we're getting it from Grover, we're still missing Grover as the Protector. 
very interesting that they both chose to omit that information. And I wonder if that'll be a bigger plot point than it was in the books. Of like, Grover, why did you hide this? Or like if something else went down? I don't know. It might be that they're planting a seed. It might just be that we're keeping an air of mystery. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Percy starts to kind of like roast this whole situation. Um, and at, at first, when you first watch it, it's like, why is Percy like dragging Thalia through the mud? But really, in actuality, Percy's kind of roasting Zeus. He's like, really? And all of this, like, she could he couldn't have done something besides just turn her into a tree? Right? And Annabeth in this moment is feeling really like, personally attacked probably you know like that was one of her closest friends one of the first people who ever made her feel welcomed and cared for and here's percy this new like this new kid who thinks that he's all all that because he's been claimed as the son of poseidon but she figured it out first and now he's on this quest he doesn't even want to go like how ungrateful is he and and not only is he ungrateful but he's also like dragging thalia through the mud she met a hero's fate she met a pine cone's fate bro <laughs> why did he go that hard like uh, like i understand like objectively percy doesn't really have a grasp of what is going on in the situation he doesn't fully understand the impact that this has on annabeth and he also doesn't understand why she's taking it so personally because he's probably thinking like this isn't about her this is about zeus like how like hello why are we letting him get a free pass out of this situation? <gasps> this is this works so well for the framing of this episode. Why are we letting the god get a free pass out of the situation? Percy's just a kid. He's not a full intellectual who's been contemplating the ethics of the gods versus he you know, he's not been thinking about this, but like it really is a good framing for what we're gonna get into, which is who deserves to be punished. And in this very light-hearted situation, who deserves to get roasted, right? Like, why are we dragging Thalia through the mud when it was Zeus who had, had the stupidest idea, you know? <laughs> like, what, what, <laughs> interesting, intriguing, you know? And that's a, a, a very fascinating way to set up this episode. Just like this theme. Oh, I feel like, I'm going to say this now and I'll probably say this again. I feel like... This whole episode is one that, like, you could assign in college as, like, write an essay on this episode and people would be able to write about multiple different things that are through lines through this episode and, like, the ways that they interact with each other and the ways that they develop the characters and, like, what kind of arguments they make about what it is that we expect from heroes and monsters. Like, there is so much in this episode. I won't be able to get to it all. And and I haven't even fully gotten to it all because I keep rewatching and I like simmer a little bit more on the information that I'm thinking about and I've and I've gone back to like the myths and I'm going back to like how do we conceptualize what monsters are and who is a hero and like all of those themes that keep coming up and just like there are so many delicious little nuggets that I could definitely like dig into. And I would have a full meal because I'd be like, oh, that's just a little something. And then I would like dig a little bit past the shiny surface and I'd be like, oh my God, this is a gold mine for like so many different points in this episode. So just please send me all of your essays. <laughs> if you have an essay, <sighs> send it to me because I want to think about this all day. There's just, there's just so much like depth 
to a lot of this. And it's, it's so cool. It is so cool to me. Anyways, we have this wonderful framing. <laughs> uh, and we get this fascinating line from Annabeth that forbidden children are always in danger, even the strongest ones, even Thalia, and you are not Thalia. <laughs> the, the, like, tension in the air because of this, like, you can cut it with a knife. Like, the, just, the, it's so, so powerful. And, like, it shows to us, like, the reverence that Annabeth holds for Thalia is so, like, it, it is incredibly high. It is powerful. She, she has so much respect for Thalia, right? And I'm sure that, like, she talks so positively of a hero's fate that I'm sure that that's what she is hoping for. I don't think Annabeth, in this moment, in this part of the TV show, or even in the books, is really expecting any kind of happy ending. She's, she's looking for her hero's fate, right? She's like, I... It, it would be wishful thinking to have something positive, especially this Annabeth, like our TV show version of Annabeth, because... Because I... I I keep, I keep thinking back to this. I was listening to the Seaweed Bear podcast. I'm a fangirl first, okay? I'm a fangirl first. And <laughs> I was listening to other podcasts too, but like that was just the one that they, uh, they talked very specifically about Annabeth being more like a lieutenant almost or like a general in the TV show. And I think that that really is solidified because I don't think that Annabeth is looking for anything hopeful. I think she's looking to get the job done you know, and she's looking to see how it is that she can do that and what is the best way that she can do that. But she's not expecting a happy ending, right? She's not expecting to get out of this unscathed. She's expecting her life to be difficult and for her to like bear a grin through it all, right? Like that's the kind of mentality that she has. And so knowing that Thalia met this hero's fate and that she also thinks that one day she will meet a fate similar to it to have Percy mock it, even though he doesn't fully understand what he's doing, is so deeply hurtful to Annabeth. Like, just just absolutely devastating to her. Like, this is what she's aspired to. This is all that she is hoping for. Th these are her goals. Not to say she necessarily wants to turn into a tree, but, like, this is where she thinks she's probably going to end up in this kind of context. Right? And to have Percy kind of mock it in front of her at the start of their quest, nonetheless, like, that's that's a lot. That's a lot for him to do. <laughs> so we get the beginning of what I, I like to call it, the beginning of the bickering, uh, where we are, we are going full force into arguing after this, my friends. And I think, especially, like, I need to say that whenever we get these three our golden trio, whenever we get the three of them together on screen, I really feel like it's my favorite moments in the episodes. Like, don't get me wrong, I really love the monsters and I love the tensions that we're getting and I really, really am enjoying a lot of these guest stars on the show. But like, the way that these kids carry themselves, their dynamic with each other, their chemistry, like they are fantastic together. And and whenever it's just the three of them on screen, like, I am fully, fully mesmerized. Like, 
they are fantastic. They are truly fantastic. And I, I could not sing their praises enough. Like, I really think that they're amazing. And like, this, this episode later on too, we get a couple moments where it's just the three of them. And we just get these wonderful, like, bits of dialogue and these wonderful, powerful scenes. We get comedy. We get, like, d emotional devastation. We get tension. Like, it's really good. These kids are fantastic. Uh, and, like, I understand why the showrunners and almost every single person who's worked on the show who's been able to talk about these kids has talked so highly of them. They are truly, like, wow. Just from what we can see on the screen, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> this is so cool. They really are, like, the golden trio, you know? This is this is them. They shook the book, and there they were. <laughs> you know, they fell out. There they are. Just so good. So, so good. Okay, so now we have started the quest. Annabeth is in charge because who the heck else would be Percy? What do you mean we do show hands? <laughs> that was such a funny, like, retort. Like, why would he think that? <laughs> was he hoping that he would get, like, humbly picked? You know, he'd be like, oh, sorry. I didn't even expect it. I wasn't ready. I think it's very funny. I love that, that he gives that kind of sass. But, like, yes, Annabeth is in charge we're going very fascinating too because we'll we'll get this like almost fully subverted of her being fully in charge i love it i love it so now we're going to the first destination which is the bus when they're on the bus we get a little bit more exposition like we got in the book of like percy can't be in the sky because zeus will literally strike him down we get a little bit of like this is how monsters work uh also <laughs> this isn't a vacation <laughs> i love i loved annabeth's lines in like this whole episode i just i just it's so good so good um we also get them stopping at the the rest stop on the bus ride to where they're going and there is some tension there is some bickering we are in full bickering mode i am thriving annabeth is like i'm gonna go get some treats and you guys are gonna stay here percy's not having it she the, the way that she handles it all is so so funny to me because it's it's with like such it, it's it's not indifference but it's like his whining is like beneath her and she's like this isn't even worth like <laughs> like it's so funny the way that she talks back to him she's like i'm like he's like i don't think you should just get to decide we don't get to vote and he, she just goes i'm sorry you feel that way like <laughs> it's just so good um and we get this lovely comedic break you know tensions are building because Annabeth and percy are going at each other's throats like this. <laughs> one of them is getting out of this car <laughs> we know who it is it's annabeth but grover is trying really hard to be a mediator and in this he starts doing you know the the, the consensus song <laughs> which is just so funny what he is he he has so clearly been a summer camper and a counselor for like his whole life <laughs> because why was that his first thing to try you know like this is just so iconic you know this is just so so iconic we do get uh annabeth leaves the bus you know she's the victor but we do get grover and percy talking a bit more about monsters and the smell 
that, that monsters can pick up on of demigods, right? We're like, what is it that monsters exactly are picking up on? We get more explanation of this in this episode than I think we ever do in any of the books. <laughs> Literally any of the books. It's uh, depending on like the monster themselves, they like pick up on some kind of insecurity or like hubris that uh, a demigod has and can detect that depending on what kind of monster they are. I will say we don't get any mention here of like, this is probably why Sally was with Gabe, which is interesting that that's not happening here. And I wonder if we're going to do it at some point or if it's going to be an actual discussion that he has with Sally later on. I'm very intrigued <laughs> about when we'll get to talk about this and if we'll get to talk about this because this is the whole reason for Gabe, you know? But it hasn't been explicitly stated. Again, I am trusting the process <laughs> and I'm trusting that we will get to something that will either do this exactly or say, uh, do something else in a new creative way to still hit the same point. You know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm anticipating. So one of the two, it's okay. I am anxiously awaiting for them to explain, but I'm ready to be waiting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am, I am seated along with that shadow of Percy's that's there. I also want to give a shout out to Percy's final line of that argument being, uh, our voting system's broken. So real. <laughs> he gets it. He, uh, Percy understands. Percy understands. Anyway, <laughs> we cut to tiny Annabeth. Tiny, tiny Annabeth picking out treats. Okay, some people are like, oh, she's picking them out for, like, as a, as a, like, I'm trying, I want to be your friend, like, please don't hate me kind of thing. And I'm like, I get that. But I also feel like maybe she just hasn't bought candy for herself in so long because they don't really have processed foods at camp. Because they live off of nature. So have you considered... Oh, nature and magic, sorry. Uh, so have you considered that like maybe she just really misses candy? <laughs> and hasn't had the ability to buy candy for herself since she was seven? Even then, she probably didn't buy it for herself. Probably it was Thalia or Luke buying it for her. Like... I'm sorry, did we consider? <laughs> I, I get it. It's fine. It's fine. Both can be true. Both can be true. Uh... <laughs> As, as Grover is still explaining the, the monsters, smelling demigod stuff, where Percy goes, they smell fear, like monsters smell fear. And, and Grover goes, that's bees. That's <laughs> so good. It's so funny. Um, and as this, this conversation is happening, because the, these things are kind of happening at the same time, Grover narrating this conversation as Annabeth is buying all these treats, she can sense something. You know, she can tell that something's happening. And it lines up really well with, with Grover's, like, narration of monsters and stuff in that moment. And as she's getting back on the bus, Annabeth, big brain, uh, she notices what's actually happening. She puts on her cap. <laughs> she's coming. And she puts on her cap. And she starts to have a conversation with who? With who? With Electo. That we may remember, she's still looking like Mrs. Dodds from the first episode incredible that we are getting this lovely moment this was something that was shot in as a teaser at the end of the last episode so very cool that we're getting it actually and this conversation that they have is just so fascinating also annabeth is being so brave here 
like stepping aside from the group knowing that the group has no idea that she's in peril she's she's put on her invisibility cap and she's having this conversation with electo and it, and it seems like to me really that electo thinks that she is sitting in the seat behind her but we don't actually know where annabeth is electo says this very fascinating thing that annabeth is the most formidable demigod child alive what <laughs> that is just from her reputation that is wild uh also may i say that uh this plays into the theme of the episode of like are you like your parents right there's this question that keeps coming up and also just like who is a hero who was a monster right this is a very big question in this episode and one of the things that athena is known to be is prideful right and so what is the perfect way to lure in a child of athena but to appeal to their pride right and so while i do really do believe that annabeth is one of the most formidable demigod children alive while i do believe that with my whole heart my whole chest i also think that electo is trying to also play 40 chess in this moment she's not keeping up but she's trying <laughs> you know she's trying to tempt annabeth by appealing to her hubris right so i think this is very fascinating and this is when electo gets gives annabeth this first opportunity of like if you turn in percy you can keep going and he won't impact you very very fascinating that we are getting these options that we are getting these like additional tensions additional possible conflicts i'm kind of really living for it this is completely new and i think it's great <laughs> i think it's great electo is on the bus in the book like that is a whole thing so are the other furies and so we only get two but that's okay this is still fascinating i am still like enthralled and I really like this. Um, Annabeth doesn't answer. You know, she heads back. She warns the kids. She's so smart. She's like, you guys need to open the window. Open the window now. Cover's like, but it doesn't work. <laughs> like, I don't think we're supposed to be doing that. And once they realize why she's saying it, they should have trusted her right away, but it's okay. Once they realize why she's saying it, it sets off the alarm in the bus, which forces people to go the, the way out and through the front, which means that they push Electo further away from them right they they build like a barrier these humans and it's really really smart of her she's she's so clever like wow she's so smart um and we see that another one of electo's sisters another one of the furies comes through in annabeth like throws the dagger stabs her and she dies uh, i was watching this with my brother and it was very funny because he saw it happen a dagger falls to the floor and what did my brother say? He goes, oh, Curse Blade shall reap. Curse Blade the hero's soul shall reap. <laughs> that was like his first reaction. I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. If you don't know what that is yet, that's okay. We'll get to it. We will get to it. <laughs> It'll happen. But he, he was just so excited. He was like, oh my god, I know that. I know that dagger. <laughs> I know that one. And like, so real. So real. Um, <laughs> which is great. They run away. Again, Percy's taking this box <laughs> with these converts it's a box that's so impractical literally so impractical also r.i.p their treats i don't know where they ended up but they're gone they deserve those treats they really did she got like a what'd she get like a six pack two of sodas like man that must have been like fifty dollars <laughs> in this economy like man <laughs> so yeah r.i.p their treats 
truly R.I.P. their treats. What are you going to do? But now, they are lost in the woods. Haven't even left New Jersey. <laughs> All I can think about is the song from The Lightning Thief musical. Uh, We're lost in the woods, somewhere in New Jersey. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I think about. <laughs> I'm so excited to do that musical, in case you didn't know. But yeah, that's that's where, that's where they end up. And we get this very fascinating situation between Percy and Annabeth where you can tell that Percy grew up in a in a situation where he was often told you know to look for help from adults and also that like he is okay to look for help from adults and like that it doesn't change his own like self-worth like he 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 is insecure right we know that he's insecure from like how how he was talking in that that first episode right we know that he is an insecure kid but he is not insecure about needing help right he just thinks that even with help he might not be able to come back from certain things which is like oh my god still thinking about it i'm like oh my god <laughs> painful painful but he's very comfortable he's like we're lost we don't have a way back back uh, we don't have a way to California. We are fully lost. We are three kids. I mean, Grover's 24. But we are three kids. <laughs> and we don't know how to progress from here. And Annabeth is very much like, we cannot do this. Right? She's she's saying, like, it's it's a quest from the gods. It's supposed to be hard. If we call camp, we're basically saying it's a mis- it was a mistake to choose us. And Percy going, I'm completely comfortable with that. Like, one, because he's really nervous about the prophecy. Two, because he actually was raised that way. It is very fascinating that we're getting this Percy who has had a a, a pretty decently, like, secure attachment. Oh my god, not me being full psychology right now. But he has, he has like, a pretty secure attachment to his mom, right? Whereas, on the other hand, we have Annabeth, who doesn't really have that kind of attachment with either of her parental figures. Her closest thing to that is probably either uh, Luke, Thalia, or maybe Chiron, right? And, I mean, (laughs) we didn't get to see very much of Annabeth and Chiron, right, in this show. We've only heard about Luke and Annabeth, right? Like, she isn't getting a lot of that parental guidance, as far as we can tell, as viewers, right? And just... So, so like, there's this very interesting dynamic in terms of, like, attachments and just their upbringing. And it's just... So, so fascinating that we get it. Um, uh, Beth Chase, let me just tell you right here, right now, it is okay for you to make mistakes. Girl, it's okay. You are worth more. <laughs> if you need to hear this, too, you are worth more than any of the mistakes that you could make. Man, Annabeth Chase, it's okay. But also, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it, Annabeth. I feel you. I understand. <laughs> um, and we get this really powerful line from Annabeth where she goes, why are you so afraid of who you are to Percy? Man, the conversations. Like, these three kids as a trio. When we get the three of them together, like, it's just so cool. And and Percy then going, well, you know what? Whatever. Fine. You don't want to call camp. Let's at least call your mom. I was like, bro. 
I screamed. I screamed. The way that I screamed and then and then Annabeth getting like angry. Uh, flustered and angry. Like, she's kind of embarrassed by the fact that this is a question being asked because she doesn't have that kind of relationship with her mom. But also, like, angry that she is being put in a position where she has to explain herself about this, right? So Annabeth goes, Grover, will you explain to your friend that he needs to pull himself together? I was like, (laughs) guys! Oh my god! And then we get Percy going, he's, why you keep, like, trying to recruit Grover? Like, he's on my side. And then Anna was going, your side? Why would he be on your side? He was my protector first. And I was like, you could hear, you could hear a pin drop. Like, oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. Poor Grover. In the middle of the situation. Just being like, guys, we're like, probably walking on the same path as Uncle Ferdinand. Wow, like... (laughs) wow wow the the tension between these two kids like these two kids are at each other's throats they are going to kill each other at this point (laughs) but it's just so perfect you know it's so perfect to a lot of the bickering between early Percy and Edith it's really good and especially because Percy is still learning so much about this world that Annabeth is so so familiar with that like this is this is this is definitely like the levels they're going to be meeting each other at in terms of understanding each other and the worlds that they come from you know like this is this is perfect this is perfect uh we get this little (laughs) derail thank goodness uh because (laughs) grover is trying so hard just to stay afloat at this point (laughs) grover is trying so so hard to stay afloat at this point and what does he notice what does he do to try and keep us from killing each other, you know, our two demigods. How is he going to tear them apart? You know, he brings up, you know, he brings up, he says, wait, hold on a second. It smells like hamburgers. On a Seder path? <laughs> what do you mean it smells like hamburgers? Um, and they don't really want to follow along with him, but he's like, no, no, no. I'm being for real. I'm being serious. This is, this is something we got to investigate. We got to look into this. And so that's what they do. That's what they do. They follow him out, and we get to Auntie M's, which is so fascinating. So exciting. <laughs> I will also say we're getting all of the hints uh, to set us up for our quest, when our quest as Grover, uh, <laughs> to go find Pan. To so just, yay, we're winning, we're winning. We get to Auntie M's. We get this fascinating portrayal of Electo and Medusa in conversation with our demigods right like we get this fascinating situation where medusa is acting as this mediator for conflicts which is so so different from all of the other ways that medusa is usually depicted and we're given the choice of are we going to go with medusa or are we going to stay with electo and try and fight her right because electo's not going to go and confront medusa and electo's not going to interact with her because she knows that she can die at any second and percy's percy's gut is is telling him that to trust her, which is so fascinating because it's not just like, no, I have a good feeling about her. Like in the books where he's blindly led and like very easily influenced by these beings. But instead, it's my mom used to tell me her story. And the point was that she isn't what people think. Fascinating that this is this is what's projecting us forward. I love it. I love that we're getting more of Sally Jackson 
through Percy and also that like her influence doesn't fade away. You know, like we have been able to talk about her every episode so far because she is what's so important to him. So, so fascinating. And again, we get this theme of monsters and the idea of like, not all monsters look like they'd be monsters and not all heroes look like they're heroes, right? Uh, And this gets really expanded upon with Medusa, with her not holding judgment to them, especially because she isn't automatically assuming that Percy and Annabeth will be like their godly parents, right? Poseidon and Athena. Uh, This is also an interesting point where the power shifts in this trio, where Percy goes, I'm going in, you can join me if you want. Like, I know Annabeth, you're supposed to be in charge, supposedly, but I don't care anymore. Like, I'm doing this. You can come with if you want to. Annabeth goes in and she, he's like, <laughs> he's so humble. He's like, thank you for, for coming in. Like, I, like, you know, like, I appreciate it that you, like, are sticking with us kind of a thing. And she's like, this isn't the same for me as it is for you. Which, like, one, of course, because why would Percy think about that context? Yeah, he has no reason to at this point. Like, he's just like, I have a gut feeling and either this death or that death. And I think this one I can finesse, you know. <laughs> so it's just it's very fascinating. Very, very fascinating because we're getting a shift from Annabeth as the only one in charge to Percy's trying to take charge. Uh, You know, how's that going to go? How's that going to go? And also, will it still be Percy in charge by the end of this episode? We shall see. We shall see. We're going to do a really quick break and then we're going to have a little interlude where we talk about Medusa and the various versions of her myth and what it is that the TV show is doing itself. Okay? Okay, awesome. Hi. Welcome to our break. (laughs) Our very little brief break. This is the moment for you to get water, uh, for you to stand up and maybe stretch if you haven't moved in a hot second. If you can't, I don't know. What are you doing? Are you driving? Are you cooking? What are you doing? (laughs) What are you up to? You know, just uh, take a moment, maybe like readjust your posture because, oh my God, the amount of times I didn't realize that my posture has been the worst ever and it just hurts me please readjust your posture make sure that you're not hurting yourself take it take a second have you had your sip of water yet i hope so (laughs) do you know what i'm sipping on today do you hear it (laughs) i am sipping on a mini can of diet coke in true percy jackson fashion it's not blue but it's diet coke (laughs) And that that's what I've been sipping on. I have also been seeing a lot of the... I, I, I'm getting a lot of the TikTok filter uh, where it, like, does the randomized thing for guessing your, your house, your cabin, must be in your, your cabin. And I feel like I just don't believe any of it. <laughs> At the only times that I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 is when I get Apollo. So maybe I just need to commit to being an Apollo kid. But then I think about the trials of Apollo, and I'm like, that's my dad. <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh, you know? Uh, but then I also think, like, maybe Athena. But then I'm like, hmm. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's our little intermission. I hope you had your sip. We will be back to our normal programming. Ooh. Welcome back, my friends. I hope you had a lovely little break. Um, I sure did. (laughs) Let's talk about, uh, Medusa and the mythology and kind of lore around her. So, 
There are two widely circulated versions of the myth of Medusa. One is Greek and one is Roman. I know that we're in the Percy Jackson world and Rick has often talked about how his versions of myths are not meant to be like the end-all be-all, but instead meant to, you know, keep us interested in Greek and Roman mythology, keep that interest alive. So we can't treat his retelling as the actual mythology of Medusa, nor does he really want us to. So just as a little disclaimer, that is not the focus. Also, this is the part of the podcast where we will be talking about uh, sexual assault. So if you want to tune away, uh, feel free <laughs> to dip as we go into these myths. This is the myths of Medusa, okay? Have I given you enough time? Okay. In the Greek version of the myth of Medusa, it is believed that there were three Gorgon sisters and that Medusa was the only one of the three who was mortal. The other two were immortal. And so, all of the Gorgon sisters had the snake hair and could turn people to stone. This is something that I often was like, what What happened to make her... It's just how they were born, right? Um, she is believed to be slain by Perseus as a gift for a wedding with the help and guidance from Athena and Hermes. We see the statue of this moment of Perseus having beheaded her when we are in episode one with Sally and little Percy in the Met. So that's the statue that's happening, right? In this myth, Percy was given directions and a sword from Hermes to be able to find Medusa, right? And he gets a shield from Athena to also get an idea of how to see Medusa, you know, because he can't look at her. So he would look at the reflection of the shield. Also, on Perseus's journey to find Medusa to slay her, he was gifted an invisibility cap and winged sandals. There's other things that he also gets, but this is like the big gist of it. Um, so this is a very nice full circle moment when we then get to see the actual scene. Uh, I'm also, uh, heads up, I'm looking at the, the Edith Hamilton versions of Greek mythology, just in, in case you were curious. <laughs> I did like some Googling and some reading of my books, and so the, that's the conglomeration that I've done for this research. In the Roman version, Medusa is a mortal, uh, and she is sexually assaulted by Neptune, the Roman version of Poseidon, in Minerva's temple. Minerva being the kind of Roman equivalent of Athena. In this situation, Minerva becomes really enraged that it's happening in her temple, uh, and she curses Medusa with the power to turn people to stone and gives her snake hair to kind of undercut how beautiful Medusa was claimed to be. Important to note that this came after the Greek myth, and also that in some of the retellings, because of the um, kind of blending that happens at times between Roman and Greek myths, people would say it was Poseidon, some people would say it was Athena instead of Minerva or Neptune, right? So... So know that those are both the context for that situation. In the Percy Jackson version, in this TV show, we are getting an intriguing mashup, almost, uh, where we are paying homage to both versions of this myth. So, Medusa frames herself as a devoted worshipper of Athena, who was never acknowledged by her. She then says that another god came and he broke that silence. The sea god told me he loved me, right? And Athena then declared that she had embarrassed her and needed to be punished, giving her this curse. So it feels at first that, like, this is a very PG version of, like, the more Roman version of the myth of Medusa, right? Where, like, another god came and told me that he loved me. 
interesting. <laughs> um, but we do get later on that Medusa still calls Poseidon a monster, which is implying that this is supposed to be a PG version, right? And that she was indeed sexually assaulted by Poseidon. And there are a couple quotes that she says that really solidify this kind of concept for me, which is her saying, um, Percy asks, like, what are you? She goes, I'm a survivor. She tells us, I don't like bullies. She said, the gift the gods gave me was that I can no longer be bullied by anyone, right? Um, and she's really trying to make these demigods question whether or not the gods are really infallible. And they only want what all bullies want. Makes you really wonder what it is that she's trying to get at specifically here. And it's a lot of that, um, the gods trying to make you feel guilty for things that they have done themselves, right? But also we do get Medusa saying that Poseidon didn't stand up for the ones that he loves. And that's kind of what she focuses on when she talks to Percy about trying to get him to not be like Poseidon, right? And so it almost makes it seem like it's not necessarily about something that Poseidon did to Medusa, but possibly something about Poseidon should have stood up for Medusa, which is a very different take on that situation. Um, I I haven't fully, like, I, I feel like I can't fully tell what the exact story that they're saying is happening here, just because there's, like, this ambiguity, right? Like, she's calling Poseidon a monster, but it's almost like she's calling him a bully at the same time which are not necessarily the same thing, right? And especially the way that she frames Percy being different from Poseidon, it seems like it's not exactly like the Roman myth, but possibly something different. And so I, I'm very intrigued by it. What do, what do you think, you know, is being implied here? Because I haven't quite figured out, and I know that we're supposed to get something else, I think in episode 7, with a conversation between Sally and Poseidon, maybe as a flashback or something of the sort, where we get more context to the relationship, and this conversation comes up again of Medusa and Poseidon. And so I'm very intrigued. I'm very curious about where this is going to go. But I am, I am fascinated. But that's our little, our little interlude on Medusa and some of the, the context around her. Uh, now it is safe again to listen if you've been trying to tune me out or have me really quiet for whatever reason uh, in regards to the themes of sexual assault. We are not talking about those anymore going forward in the rest of this episode. Okay? Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Let's keep going. Now that we've gotten back from that little interlude, we are going back into plot, plot, plot. So um, Medusa's trying really hard to kind of pull apart at Annabeth and Percy really being like, you don't have to be like your parents, which is such a fascinating question to be presenting them. Uh, and eventually when she sees that like Annabeth is not, <laughs> she is not like, uh, buying this. She doesn't really want anything to do with it. She's like, you're a liar and you're like, this isn't true. My mom is fair. So on and so forth. She realizes she's not getting anywhere with Annabeth. And so she decides to try and separate them. She asks Percy to come help her figure out some stuff in the kitchen. She's like, I smell something burning. Like, come on. Um, in that, we get this <laughs> just special, special moment that I really, really liked. Annabeth telling Grover, like, once Medusa's out with Percy, oh, we, got, we gotta get ready to run. And Grover turns to look at her and has food in his mouth. And a truly 
that is the most grover thing that I have ever witnessed in my life. He is, he is grovered in a way that has never been done before. Just so perfect. <laughs> Such a perfect little depiction of him. Uh, we switch to Percy and Medusa having a conversation. Percy immediately is, like, defending Annabeth to Medusa, like, apologizing for her being like, she's not usually like that. Like, I'm sorry that she's, she's being this way, but, like, she's not a bad person right, and Medusa starts being like, no, she's going to betray you, and Percy's like, I don't, I don't think she will, which is so fascinating, because Percy hasn't had that realization yet, of, like, they are all sticking together, right, but he's still like, I don't think she's gonna betray me, which is beautiful, beautiful, I love, um, to all of you saying that Annabelle fell first, <laughs> explain this, explain this, anyways, <laughs> um, I love it, I love we get the, the defense, and, uh, Again, this is where we get Poseidon being called a monster. And this kind of destabilizes Percy's understanding of Poseidon and ours as viewers, right? But it also gives Percy another in to kind of question what's really happening, right? Uh, one of the things he says is like, my mom never talked about my dad that way, which is such a fascinating framing of this. Um, and, and like, it's it's... It's sad that it's like a way to to open more doubt into this conversation because of all the things to doubt Medusa for, this isn't one of them. But also because it shows us that he trusts his mom above everything. And now he's also starting to question like, how much can I trust what my mom has been telling me, right? Like how much can she really know in this context? And so Medusa starts to ask like about his mother, pointing out, you know, that Percy's mom is not safe, right? As far as Percy knows. And she starts to offer to remove Annabeth and Grover from the equation, a.k.a. kill them. You know, she's like, I'm going to, I'll turn them to stone. Just tell me the word. And if we get this beautiful, like, impactful shot where she is still talking. She stops talking. She waits for a response. We get silence. The camera switches to where Percy was standing in that little, like, uh, hallway right outside of the kitchen. And it's empty. And, like, this shot of the empty spot where Percy was with the music and the lighting. It was incredible. It was like we were switching into horror. Uh, and it was just like, it, it, like, it's getting scary now. Like, it was so cool. I really, really loved it. Like, I'm, I'm not super well-versed in film because that's just never been something that I've been super well-versed in. But I have to say that this reminds me, I don't know why, but it reminds me of, like, The Shining. Like, I was kind of, like, expecting the camera to start, like, turning. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Uh, if anyone can put, like, uh, can pinpoint why it is that I feel like those shots are so similar, please help. Because I don't know. But, like, it, that's what it makes me think of. You know? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so good. So good. We get this incredible Medusa reveal. And may I just say that I love the way that her hair is snakes i mean this is obvious but like the way that like the snakes are actually made to kind of look like her hair right when she has the hat on the little cap on when she's with the kids it's like tucked in almost if it's like a little bun behind her head you know it's really like she's trying to treat it like her hair and now we're getting it coming down from that hairstyle and now it's more of that like monster appearance I also think that her eyes being white is just so sickening. <laughs> she looks, at first especially, she looks or she seems like she could be kind. Uh, when Especially, like, you know, when she has her hat on. But also maybe she isn't, you know, playing with that idea of, like, monsters aren't always what you think they are. Because in that situation at the very beginning of this 
interaction, we had to decide between Electo and Medusa, right? And we chose the least, the, the, the quote-unquote least threatening monster in the moment, but was that actually the least threatening? I don't know. I don't know, right? Also, this all makes me think of specific paintings. I had to, like, look it up because I could picture it in my head, but I could not remember the, the artist's names. Their, their name is Jeff Lee Johnson. Um, the first painting that came to my head was the uh, Blue Plate Special piece. Um, they even have one, another piece. It's a very similar style that has Medusa in it, and it's called Under the Boardwalk. But it's, it's one of those pieces where you first glance, and it looks normal, but the longer you look, the more frightening it's supposed to get. There's, like, more details that are, like, unsettling. Things that maybe just, like, at first glance, you don't really notice. Your mind kind of glosses over them. But when you actually look at the details, you're like, hold on. <laughs> What's going on here, right? And so it, I thought that was very interesting. I also love the the framing of Medusa bringing in the kids to eat. Um, and then her true form being revealed while she's surrounded by food. It makes me think of Hansel and Gretel. Um, in particular, you know, especially with that shot of her by herself in this big, big parlor with all of this food. Like, <laughs> very, very fascinating. The trio are now in the basement, and they're hiding in the basement. If you can't get out, I guess you go in deeper, <laughs> is what it seems to be. Uh, we get this fun lighting thing where, like, the fire is coming down. I'm not sure why that happens, but, like, it looks cool. So what am I supposed to, you know, how could I be a hater? And, um... The kids are trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do. They're going to try to figure out their plot. Grover activates the wing shoes on accident when trying to explain his own plot. So he's flying away. <laughs> and we get we get this this funny thing of like, and like, so like of Annabeth being like, so we're going to need to come up with a new plan. Like, I think very, very funny. Very, very funny. We enter this like section of this altercation with Medusa where she is really like cementing like, you guys had the choice, you guys being Annabeth and Percy, had the choice to not be like your parents, and you chose to be like your parents. And so Medusa claims that Annabeth chose self-righteousness, very much like her mother, you know, uh, because Annabeth was earlier saying, like, that's not what happened, you're a liar, um, and, like, really going in to defend the pride of her mother, and also, like, her inability to look past her own relationship to Athena to be able to see Medusa as anything else than a monster, right? So we have that coming from Medusa. And then from for Percy, Medusa says that he's like Poseidon because he's not standing up for someone he loves, which is fascinating. I mean, Medusa's doing all of this off of a hunch, right? That Percy's not going to save his mom because he's going to stay with his friends, which is like a very bold claim to make. Uh, because what, you know, like, how would, he could, he could do both. Theoretically, Percy could do both, right? But this framing of, like, you're choosing your friends over your mother for Percy. Um, and there's, like, all of these really, like, meet their, like, climactic point when we get to our, our big argument with the trio. Also, just, like, when Medusa comes down, there is something about the way that she's speaking that feels like a school teacher or nanny to me. Like, she speaks so knowingly about the situation and about their character. It's almost as if she's someone who has, like, really seen it all. And it's not that she's, like, it's not that she's, like, jaded, but she just has so much experience with people's beliefs and understands that she is going to likely, like, destroy those beliefs or crush them. You know, something of the sort. Very, very fascinating. They cut off her head. It's really cool. We get, um, 
I mean, if you remember from the myths, in the myths there is, you know, the shield, the sword, the wing shoes, and the invisibility cap, and there's also, like, a wallet that's, like, can carry anything, right? But it's so cool because I never really realized that in this version, we get the wing shoes from Hermes and the visibility cap from Athena. Like, even though this is an adaptation, like, so far removed from the original, we're still getting those two gods present in this situation. Um, basically, Grover comes in, distracts her as he's falling. I don't think this is intentional. I think this was an accident. But <laughs> as Medusa's distracted, Annabeth uses her cap to cover Medusa, make her invisible so Percy can swing his sword and kill Medusa. Chop off her head, right? Very, very fascinating that we get so many of the similar pieces from the actual myth in this one. Very, very interesting. And we get this this moment with Percy and Annabeth, uh, particularly with Percy, where he recreates that statue from the Met of Perseus holding up the Medusa head, which is incredible, uh, this, this framing. Um, and <laughs> as they're going up to that, like, they haven't reached that point yet, they are just giving each other so many looks. <laughs> These actors, I swear to God, these kids are giving us so many Perseveth glances. I just, I can't believe them. Their audacity. There's this very sweet, like, very awkward, too, little um, moment where Annabeth is staring at Percy after she's given him the advice of, like, okay, you need to make sure that it's facing out because if it's not, it's going to be bad, right? And he's like, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then she just keeps looking at him. And Percy's like, uh, my, my hands are kind of full. And then it was like, oh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get the door. Okay. <laughs> very, very, like, just precious. Just such a precious moment. And then we get Percy literally recreating the moment of the statue, you know, holding that Medusa's head out to Electo, killing Electo, but also literally being Perseus with Medusa's head. Fascinating. Like, wow. But it also brings us again to the, to the question of, like, who is a hero and what is a monster? That statue was literally what prompted that question in the first place. So it's so fascinating that we use Medusa again and literally recreate that form without having gotten a full answer to what that question is. Very, very fascinating. Um, also, just the, the way that Annabeth looks out that door at Percy like she's literally witnessing the kind of hero he's going to be before her eyes she's she's also realizing that maybe he he is good maybe he's not the kind of cruel contrarian that she was getting at the at half blood hill with around Thalia's tree you know I feel like she's she's experiencing something that that none of us are fully understanding yet but like oh my gosh the way that she looks at him is fascinating I need I need the script. <laughs> I need to know what the intention was. Like I need I need the script for that moment. I need <laughs> I need details. But just so so good. We go back to Grover. Grover is looking at Uncle Ferdinand. And this was so wonderful because in the books, we never got anywhere near this kind of depth of emotions from 
Grover, in particular, like, in regard to Uncle Ferdinand. Like, this is powerful for Grover. This is completely new, and it's wonderful to be able to see him, like, be so emotional. Um, and, you know, uh, this is really, really good. We get some details about he was on his quest, right? This is the this is as far as he got on his quest. And also just this, this lovely thing of, like, he was brave up until his final moments, you know? Up through his final moments, uh, better yet, because... He's the, one of the few who, like, doesn't look scared in his statue form. That's so powerful. I, it was just so, so special. Listen, our demigods, <laughs> they had their moment of, like, respect and uh, trying to figure out how to navigate each other. But now that the danger is gone, now that they've taken care of the danger, <laughs> they are not, they're not just hanging out. <laughs> they're, they're, everything isn't cool. We got tensions to discuss. Let me tell you. And we get to what I think is my favorite moment in this whole episode. I just, I'm like, calling this, like, in my notes, I've called it, like, the moment. Because this is, like, my favorite scene from this whole episode. We've killed Medusa. We have our head. What are we going to do with it? Percy, my sweet summer child, he is saying that we should bury it in the basement with Annabeth's invisibility cap. This kid. You know, and they pan to her, you know. We're looking at her. Grover, in particular, looks over at her to check if it's okay. And, and Percy does too, but she, like, she looks like she wants to cry, but she's focusing on business. She's like, okay, but you know what? I need to talk about something with you. And Percy also has business to talk about. And so they bring up all of their tensions here and now, which honestly, good. Get it out of your system. Let it go. So we can talk about, you know, as Elsa would say, <laughs> let it go. <laughs> uh, and we talk about how Electo and Medusa both were making offers to Percy and Annabeth and giving them the opportunity to betray each other. And like, mind you, mind you, this is not about this is not supposed to be uh, about just Percy and just Annabeth because it was about it was about betraying the group. But you know who never doubts them? Grover. Grover's there. Grover's there as the rock, truly. And also, Percy and Annabeth can only like. I really feel like <laughs> there's moments in in this show where I'm like, they can only see each other. Grover's there, but they can't see him. <laughs> this is one of those moments where they are so focused on each other. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, and Grover, our hero, our hero, basically slapping them in the face to try and make them see how they're being way too cruel and, and mean to each other. Thank you, Grover. Your your superpower really is empathy. I see it in front of my very eyes. Incredible. And I also think there's something really cool about Grover being the person who is kind of like reprimanding or like scolding Annabeth and she is taking it because he is this older figure to her you know i think that's fantastic that that dynamic is 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 what it is and and he's you know he's frustrated he's like i've been trying to keep this quest on track all day i've been trying to keep you two from killing each other basically and he says i'm trying to make things not upsetting but maybe things need to get a little upsetting to move forward Ugh, i'm obsessed with that line, and I'll tell you why I am obsessed with that line. This line is so incredibly wonderful because he is, as a character, somebody who is so focused on non-confrontation. 
in the book in this tv show like he is somebody who is trying to avoid confrontation and only tries to do it if it's absolutely necessary right he 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 is avoiding all of that as much possible and this this line is such a moment of personal emotional growth for grover like people go to therapy for years to reach this kind of conclusion and be comfortable with verbalizing that, right? And here he is. Here is Grover reaching that growth, reaching that point. All because Percy and his mother keep on fighting like, ah, Grover, I am so proud of you. You have grown so much in just these first three episodes. Like the amount of progress that you have made is one to be rivaled. I love it. It's so good. It's so good. You know, uh, but then he turns back to Percy and he goes, you never answered her, Annabeth in the, from her question in the forest of like, what are you so afraid of? Percy's like, I don't, I don't know. He's like, no, no, I think you know. You need to speak up. Speak up. Right now. Speak. Um, and we get this really cool moment where Percy is sharing the rest of this prophecy. Percy's saying that he is very concerned about that line from the Oracle of, the Oracle said one of you would betray me. Like, this is really impacting him. He is really stressed out about this. He ends up saying, like, and when he was choosing for the quest, he goes, and I chose her, her being Annabeth, because I couldn't imagine we'd ever be friends. And the way, the way that this is such a stab in the chest to Annabeth and to me, but to Annabeth in particular, because she had probably just decided like, watching Percy kill Electo, like, okay, Percy is someone who is capable and can be a real hero based off of what she's witnessing, and she was probably starting to think, like, I think I can be his friend, I think that all of the stuff from before was something that I could, I can move past, like, I think that we could be friends or at least trust each other, and so, like, she is just now approaching that point, and then we get Percy coming and be like, I never thought I could be your friend, like, oh my god, God, this is such a cruel blow. Ah, oh, Percy, why would you say this? So upsetting, so upsetting, um, and painful to my core. And you can read it on her face, like ah. Oh. And again, this is why this whole scene is like one of my favorites from this episode. The way that they like feed off of each other in this conflict is incredible. The tensions are high. I'm holding my breath. I feel for every single, like, jab that they're doing at each other. Like, Grover, like, looking at Annabeth being like, and you. I was like, oh, oh. And then, and then Grover looking to Percy and being like, that ought to matter to you. That that's the only gift that she has from her mother. I was like, oh, my God. Right? And, and Percy then turning around and being like, with his eyes about to cry, being like, I feel so alone. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so many things going on in this moment there's so many emotions and these kids are doing a phenomenal job of showcasing them i'm like oh my god holding my breath oh this is so good so good i love this scene this scene is emotionally devastating and i love this scene this is amazing this is amazing oh a little a little round of applause for them. I know this is a very long episode, but a little round of applause for them because it's so good. It is so, so good. I also, like, I love the 
the moment with with Percy, you know, he goes, I don't know what to think or who to trust. You know, he feels very alone. And like at this moment, like all of them might cry, you know, and I might cry. I might cry just with them. Like, I, I actually did cry. But like, oh, my God, <laughs> there's just so many emotions here. Percy looks to, to Annabeth when she takes this kind of deep breath, you know. We know that she's hurt. I know that she's hurt. She told me herself. And, <laughs> and sorry. And, like, the expression that she has on her face, oh, devastating. And, like, you can tell that Percy can tell that this is also a devastating, like, expression because he immediately tries to take it back. He's like, I, I didn't mean it that way. Like, bro, bro. You know, this kid, this kid needs to, I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know what he needs to do. They need to spend time together, which is what they're going to do, which is great. And there's this really iconic exchange between Percy and Annabeth about Medusa and Electo. It really just shows that they were both, even without the other person knowing, choosing each other, right? And choosing to stay together as a group. I just, it's, it's so wonderful. It's just amazing. And we get this, this, <laughs> this, this moment of like, okay, now we have to figure out what to do with the head. Before we get that, you know what we do get? You know what we get? We get even more intense looks from Percy and Annabeth. The way that they keep looking at each other. These kids. <laughs> there is just so much, like, emotion in every single one of these glances. But yeah, what are we going to do with this head? Great question. Percy's conclusion. We can't keep it with the cap. Okay, what are we going to do? Let's ship it to Olympus. Incredible. We get this line from the book that I was really hoping we would keep, which is, um, and I was being like, the gods will see it as impertinent. And the line from the book is Percy going, I am impertinent. Oh, so good. So iconic. I'm so glad it made it in. <laughs> so thankful. Percy hands the hat off to Annabeth, saying, part of your mom is still with us. This is going to be kind of like a, a tribute to her, right? And, and I just want to give a little shout out to the original myth. Because Perseus, originally in the Edith Hamilton version, uh, gives the head, Medusa's head, to Athena. And she puts it on her shield. But now, we're shipping it to Olympus as a tribute to her. <laughs> I, just, I just like how, how like, the, the things are like similar but different. It's cool. It's neat. They're not the same, and they're not meant to be the same, and that's okay. I think it's cool. And, and Grover goes like, hey, so this isn't exactly what I meant, but like, choosing each other? And Percy starts doing, you know, the little... So good. So funny. He sings the consensus song. I love that he remembered enough to make it clear that it was the same song, but not enough to actually know what the lyrics are. Because after he sings like the first like line, he just goes consensus. <laughs> and like, I just that was comedy gold. It was great to see that in like a room full of people. Because the laugh that we all let out like that was so funny. <laughs> it was so good. Peak comedy. Incredible. I have to give a shout out again to the looks that Percy and Annabeth are giving each other. Him checking to see if she's laughing. Like, my goodness. My goodness. The Percibeth seeds are being planted. Planted. They are planted. Oh, I can't wait for them to fully grow. It's so exciting. So, so, so exciting. We then cut to the Hermes Express. So we see a mailman walking down the street in converse important not a van's kid converse <laughs> and his logo on his uniform says hermes express when they go into the empire state building 
take have some keys, go into the elevator, switch the little like put the key in the elevator keyhole, and the six hundredth floor button appears. They press it. You know where we're going? We're going to Mount Olympus. It pans up, and as it's panning up, <laughs> I mean we get a shot of this earlier, but particular this. As it's panning up, we get to see the full shipping label. And let me tell you, I was so happy with the shipping label. It's literally exactly like the one in the book. And I was just like, oh my god, we've made it. <laughs> like, this was a moment that I was very much like, please be very close <laughs> to the actual thing. You know, like, ah, oh, I love it. I love it. It's so, so good. Let me Let me see if I can find it. It's on, if you're curious, it's on page 186. Um, the address is all the same, and we get the same little message of, with best wishes, Percy Jackson. So good. So good. I think it was amazing. I think it was so good. <laughs> I was so happy. I was really, really, I was like, this is something that's important to me, and I needed to be right. Um, and it was right, so <laughs> there we go. Uh, and as we keep panning up, we get the reveal that this isn't just another mailman, but this is Hermes himself. So Lin Manuel Miranda, he's he's in that he's in that fit. He's wearing them Converse. Of course, he'd be a Converse guy, and of course, he's singing as his first line in the show. He's singing the song that's playing in the elevator, and we get this ending line from him for the episode. Where he goes, "You guys are not gonna believe this." Once he's walking into Olympus, and I love the idea that Hermes will become Percy's number one fan <laughs> and just like root for him and just promote all of his chaos. I'm excited for that concept. You know, I would like that. I think, I think he deserves it, <laughs> but that's like technically the end of the episode. We get some scenes for the next episode, which is so soon. Um, and like some of them I was like, what's going on? We get, um, Percy in this water fountain with Annabeth and Grover, like, throwing water on him which was i was like what's going on <laughs> um we also get the chimera in the little bag uh like a little doggy bag does that make sense <laughs> carrier oh my god that's the word like a little carrier like a little doggy carrier but like a fabric one and um we get to see echidna um she looks amazing. I'm kind of in love with her. I mean, I think you just have to put, like, a woman in front of me. And I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm kind of in love with her. <laughs> but, like, I love how she carries herself. I love the way she, like, smiles at them. Like, oh, her knowing expression. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Uh, we also get to see them in the St. Louis Arch. It seems like they get attacked on the train. And then they go to St. Louis Arch once they think they're fine. Um, or maybe they get chased into it. And then, because they have their shots of them seemingly inside the St. Louis Arch and seeing Echidna from outside. So maybe they get chased into it. I'm not sure. And it seems like maybe that's why Percy's in the water fountain being put water on. Because the chimera is poisonous and maybe they got a little bit of the poison. You know, maybe that's what's happening. Um, but we also get this scene where Percy's like obviously already ill. <laughs> and like he looks ill. Uh, because he gets poisoned by the chimera and he pulls Annabeth back and like keeps Grover and Annabeth safe from the actual fight and we see the hole in the floor and the ending teaser line is Percy saying Poseidon's never helped me before he wasn't going to start now while Percy's looking at the hole that he that we know as readers that he eventually jumps through 
iconic. Let me tell you, iconic. Like this is this is one of the first episodes where Percy has to trust in Poseidon, right? Up to this point, he's just kind of been doing stuff. <laughs> it does beg the question a little bit of like, if you get in a fight with your godly parent, do they take away your skills? You know? <laughs> curious. I'm curious. Um, but yeah, I think Echidna's basically confirmed to be on the train. Maybe we get a new monster. Maybe we fight the Chimera twice. I don't know. But I am intrigued. I want to know more. I cannot wait. Please come faster. <laughs> I, I'm very, very excited. But that about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah, I think that... I, I tried to give, you know, there's a lot of emotions that are being felt here. And there's a lot of mythology that is being approached here. I don't necessarily think that I'll do a deep dive of each mythological creature like we did for Medusa today. But just like, it felt right for her um, to kind of look at all of the pieces in just like a, a very overview type of way. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a classic scholar. It was never a thing I did. I just really liked... Uh, Greek tragedies <laughs> as a theater kid you know like that was that was my jam um, and so I tried to do a little bit but know that I'm not I'm not an expert so you know throwing that out there but yeah that about wraps it up please tell me what your predictions are for our next episode do you think that there's two monsters do you think that the chimera and echidna are chasing them most important question do you think we will get gladiola I need to know <laughs> I need to know, are we getting her or are we not? I want that pink poodle. <laughs> if we don't get the pink poodle, I'll be okay. But I want the pink poodle. I think it'd be so good. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And I hope to see you again for the next episode. I'm very, very excited. I will be like on a trip. So we're going to see how the scheduling works out. But I'm going to try very hard to get it done and ready at the same time for next week. Yeah? yeah awesome okay feel free to to follow me on the socials where you can see updates in between uh instagram demigod disasters twitter demigod disaster because they won't let me add an s uh email me your essays on this episode because there are so many <laughs> that i expect to receive no it's okay uh but yeah that about wraps it up so thank you again and have a lovely rest of your day. All right. Bye.